Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to Season 6. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. So I'll hand over to them to introduce themselves. Josh, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Hi, guys. My name is Josh Fletcher. So uh, I currently live in France. Uh, have a two-year-old boy. Uh, I've had a bit of a weird and wonderful kind of career path, which has taken me kind of all around the world. I've learned learned uh, a hell of a lot along the way, both about myself, about coaching, and about kind of what, what I'm, what my direction is now, really, from a professional perspective. Um, I'm not going to do the whole long intro relating to I did three years here five years there but whistle stop tour uh, Olympic sport pro rugby um, special forces and Formula 2 racing driver uh, that's my kind of resume in a nutshell if you want to hear a little bit read a little bit more depth or detail on those then you can just have a look on the social medias but I think some of the conversation we'll have is maybe a little bit more interesting than my background um, spent time in India spent time in obviously UK Italy France and Ramandler and a lot of lessons which Fantastic so man uh, Finn over to you Yeah cool so my name's Finn Kelly um, essentially I'm a coach uh, whatever that really entails uh, the moment for me I'm not really that sure um, I kind of have always compared it to like if, if you run you're a runner if if your coach, you're a coach of some sort. Um, I don't really know what I specialise in right now, um, but I think I'm pretty passionate about learning, uh, sharing what I've learned personally, what I've learned through other people. Um, I'm a host of a podcast, the Athlete Welfare Podcast, which is how I know Phil. Phil's come on that. Um, and that's essentially just another kind of string to my bow, I guess, in terms of being able to share what I've learned um, and share good things about coaching I used to play rugby I played for about three or four years until I had to retire through some concussions and injuries and that's pretty much how I delved into my coach and I wanted to still be involved in rugby but I wasn't really sure how I could do it I was just lucky with the people around me I guess in terms of just them getting me into some coaching environments and from there it's it's just gone up up and up really so Right now, I'm coaching at some academy stuff and and doing some of my own things. But yeah, the next couple of years, I'm not really sure where that'll go. So it'll be quite interesting. I think my main passion within coaching is is the culture side of things and securing well-being and welfare for those people that I'm working with. And I think that's going to probably take a bit of toll on the conversation today. So we'll we'll soon find out. Fantastic, gents! Absolute pleasure to have you both on. Uh, really looking forward to this. I think it's. Uh, yeah, the topic is is a pretty pertinent one, um, has, has come a long way, I think, in a pretty short space of time. So, um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Uh, just a reminder for anyone listening, please do check out the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly uh, for links to all the stuff we discuss um, and some other good recommendations as well. So, um, Josh, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, that's perfect. So, I'm really quite excited about this one because... Uh, 
I have kind of dubbed myself the practitioner wellness guy. And the reason why I've done that is because I've had this uh, wacky journey, which I've totally created for myself. And what what's become really clear and what I observe from industry, what I observe alongside some of my colleagues, so anybody who's got 10 plus years of experience has been somewhere on the burnout spectrum uh, as a, either a performance coach, a, a fitness professional, or a actual sports coach themselves. And one thing that's really kind of uh, hit me pretty hard is that we know the issues that we have within our industry uh, relating to the unsocial working hours, high expectations, low pay, um, high barriers to entry. You know, we could go on all day about those. But what no one's talking about is the impact that those things have on your well-being. And there's not enough people actually talking about the solutions. So. Once I started talking to more and more people about these things, I, I started to realize that I started to realize very quickly that there's a lot of people feeling the same things. It's just nobody's really talking about it. And that is especially prevalent. Like I'm, I'm a performance coach by, by trade, I suppose. And as SNC coaches, I think that's moving forward, but I really don't know where that is with, with, in relation to sports coaches. So as a result of that, I set my company up and my sole purpose really is, um, I feel like I found my calling really. Uh, it's to support performance practitioners, sports coaches and uh, fitness professionals in taking control of the happiness, health and wealth, which I'm dubbing as your kind of pillars of well-being. And we do so much for our athletes. And this is a great conversation we're going to have with Finn now. We're, we're so proactive with ensuring that they are where they need to be in order to perform, but also in order to have, you know, fulfillment and a, and a happy lifestyle that we just, that we don't, we're an afterthought. And, and because we're an afterthought, what I hope we're going to get into today is, well, what's the impact on our performance as a coach, as an individual in both our personal life and our professional life? And then how does that trickle down to our athletes? So it's almost going to be, I think this conversation will be, maybe from a coach standpoint and the athlete standpoint. So my, there's tons of different things that I've been doing and a lot of my, my work is based around reflective practice and that a great deal of it does come from things I've learned and things I've been exposed to um, in especially the time with the special forces guys, but there's going to be a lot to kind of unpick in today's conversation. So I suppose that's, um, it's the, the wellness paradox really Finn, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Um, and kind of just picking up on your point there in terms of like how there's so much put in place now. And I think we've still got a long way to go in terms of supporting athletes, but there's still a lot more that's in place for athletes than there is for coaches. Um, and I had a conversation with Russell Barber about a year ago now when we were talking about burnout specifically and chronic fatigue as a coach because of all the, the factors that you spoke about there. But how we give these athletes the elite attention and care that they deserve. But actually, if the coach hasn't got that, then how can we, how can we expect the athletes to be happy, healthy and, and wealthy? Like you were saying there, we've got to be able to secure the coach as well as the athlete. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I, it just goes around in my head that we're not servicing our athletes properly. We're not, doing we're not optimum if we're not trying to optimize ourselves and optimum to me is actually what, what gets what gets done so if nothing gets done then like you you're nothing it's, it's, it doesn't exist so it's not optimum but 
for me and the people that I speak to, especially the guys who are a little bit later in their career, like coaches and practitioners, they're not doing a lot of the fundamentals. They're not doing a lot of the basics. And that, I think it becomes inherently because we're givers. We give a lot of our time, our effort, our energy. We give a lot of us away. But that does have an impact on our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, and then our behaviours as a almost a cycle. And that kind of will continue to go around in a circle. Um, so I suppose what, what my stand is 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 trying to give coaches and practitioners tools and skills to take control of their their well-being and wellness or if nothing else just kind of bring it to the forefront of their mind um, and if you couple that with uh, trying to provide uh, tools and resources which currently don't exist on the market for how an individual can take care of their uh, career pathway and build the pathway that they want things like career periodization or uh, career decision making are huge aspects of what, what I'm trying to do but yeah I mean there is a long way to go in both but I do feel that we are so focused on outside of ourselves that maybe if we just take a little bit of that time and attention that we put into the athlete wellness uh, field and we put it back on the coach or the practitioner wellness side then potentially that gives us more capacity to build a bigger, build a bigger pyramid. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that's the real paradox, isn't it? And, and get into, there's probably two elements of the paradox around seeking happiness and wellness and that type of stuff. And if you seek something, you're probably never going to find it. So that we might get onto that in a little bit, but I, I want to pick up on the point you talked about in terms of the giving, because I think that's the biggest blind spot for coaches. We feel like we have to give. The role is giving. It's giving up time. It's giving energy. It's doing all of these things for all these other people. And we feel like if we stop giving to a percentage to concentrate on us, our delivery, our quality, whatever it might be, will dip and the athletes won't get as good a service. And actually the irony being it's probably not as good as it needs to be or could be because we're not looking after ourselves. So, and, and that just, it's really counterintuitive to go, we need to stop doing more and concentrate on us a little bit more to do stuff better. And I'm just wondering how, how we sell that message because it's, it's like a little bit like every coach has got OCD, isn't it? Like, it's just, oh, I need to be doing this. I need to have more conversations. I need to spend more time with the players and more time planning and more time reviewing and more time doing analysis and more time on the field and everything. Like, time is precious, but actually, how, how do we sell the message that you need to be able to, to take your own time and remove yourself and not answer your phone 24-7 and establish maybe boundaries and those types of things. Like, And no one's saying you become detached from the athletes, but I just wonder about how, how we push that message and, and sell that, that it really needs to be on us to look after ourselves. I think if, if you don't mind me jumping in on this one and then hand over to Josh because he, he knows what he's talking about more than I do, but... In terms of like, so I'm an open university student and we kind of delve into different things regarding coaching and, and the theory behind that and everything. But for me, if you look at the title and athlete-centered approach, I think that is almost the terminology and the jargon surrounding that is probably where we go wrong ultimately right at the beginning because an athlete-centered approach kind of implies that everything that we do has to be centered around that athlete. And within that, we're almost forgetting ourselves as coaching coaches. We're forgetting the staff behind the scenes. So it's almost potentially having to redefine what that is, what that 
looks like. So if I was going into an environment and I was being told that I had to adopt an athlete centered approach for me, burnout would be inevitable because I'd be focusing on them all the time and therefore I would be a giver. But if I kind of looked at that as a bit of a relationship, a partnership with that athlete, then potentially it'd be going both ways. So I don't know whether that's something that links into what Phil's saying with you, Josh, in terms of actually how we treat that relationship with the athlete and how it isn't 100% giving all of the time. Yeah, I love this. There's so many um, so many different things that both of you said. So I'm going to mention some words and then if you can prompt me, then uh, maybe I'll cover all of it. The first one, we've got something you said, Phil, which is about seek. Uh, then like seeking something out. Then uh, Finn, you mentioned... Um, like I'm a really, really visual person. So instantaneously, you said an athlete-centered approach. So I create a circle and then I create a bicycle wheel with spokes. Well, on those spokes, they all it's like a pie chart. There's different sections. So I do fundamentally agree with a athlete-centered approach. But that doesn't mean that a bunch of the spokes, let's say that top section of the spokes around the outside, should not and could not be designated to coach well-being practitioner well-being so within that section you can have a spoke on whatever you want but ultimately that's the responsibility of the organizations the club the governing body the head coach uh, the performance director and it's actually not as difficult as people might, might make out so there's there's a couple of different things to think about um, like let's say for example what I do I've got different products and I'm not here to push anything what I'm trying to say is that the whole premise of my business is to impact as many different people in terms of improving their wellness their happiness health and wealth as possible so I can do that in onesies and twosies but there needs to be some change at organizational government level so there needs to be and, and the reason for that is if my goal is to impact as many people as possible I need to be hitting the guys at the top who are employing people and influencing more employers sorry influencing more members of staff so there is a responsibility and an onus on the, the people in the hierarchy positions that they need upskilling about what it is they can do I'm very much focused on how Right now, I'm focused on how, I'm focused on the tools, the resources, and the skills to be able to give somebody uh, something to take control. And right now, people don't know how. A little bit like New Year's resolutions. You set, people set all these New Year's resolutions, and then they fall off the wagon because they haven't written a to-how list. You know, like a to-do list? Well, how are you going to do that? Like, what is the exact daily action that you're going to put in place or the weekly action in order to do to achieve it? And if you actually wrote a to-how list, then chances are you'd scrap half your New Year's resolutions anyway, and you'd probably be a lot further down the line with the other ones. So I had a really good um, kind of analogy I used with in, in relation to a, a relationship with um, a, a partner and when you've got a child. So if you have a kid, um, when you just have kids, I don't know if you guys have, but you, you give so much of yourself to that child and what tends to go down in the back burner is the relationship itself with your partner. So as an example, the child takes 80% of everything that is available. The, the male takes 10 and the female takes 10. And then you fight for the one or two percent if you think the other person is taking too much. But the kid doesn't need 80. Let's be totally honest. The kid probably needs 70 and you need 10. She needs 10 and the relationship needs 10. 
That way, everybody is better. The man is better, the, the woman is better, the relationship is better, and the kid is better because you're spreading things around. If you transfer that analogy straight into coaching and performance, it's exactly the same. If we can take back that 5 or 10% that we try to give to our athletes for ourselves and apply it in a really effective manner, they're going to get so much more out of us because we will understand that we don't have to do too much and we don't have to do as much as we are. And we nail the basics. So that's that was the kind of analogy that I could attach to that. Uh, and then the final point, um, when you said you said something about seeking out, Phil, and maybe that was part of the problem, the fact that we're having to look for something. I, I disagree. Like, I, I absolutely disagree. I think we... We must seek seek out our wellness. We must be proactive in it. It's, it doesn't happen by accident. It's something that we actively have to uh, put time and effort into ensuring that we can nail. Because if we don't set the time aside and if we're not deliberate about it, if we're not creating barriers in a very kind of conscious way in the early days, then it just won't happen. So it's almost like... For, for me, since I've gone on this big well-being and wellness push for, from a business perspective, I've, I've, had, I've made a lot of changes personally, and they've, they've all been very conscious. And I've had to continually remind myself to push them to the forefront and things like journaling and things like uh, you know, exercise activities, all these different things walking or listening to podcasts, music, whatever it might be. They're quite right now they're still very um what's the word conscious they're not they're not subconscious yet so so i am kind of seeking to prioritize my my well-being a lot of uh, ramble there <laughs> no 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 mate, it's really good I, I i guess i just kind of clarify the point around seeking so when i talk about seeking what i mean is um that there's an end point that we would arrive at well-being we are seeking a finite slight happiness is it works exactly the same and you can say that they're really quite strongly linked if I do all of these things, if I'm intentional in doing all of these things, and I absolutely agree, you have to be intentional and you have to prioritize them. And I, I was going to kind of come on to the role of discipline because I, I think that's a really interesting part of it. Yeah. But I think if you do all these things, what happens, I don't think you can plan for. I don't think you can sit there and in your action planning or in your mind or your thoughts or whatever, your, your kind of visualizations, you can go, this will be the end point to which I arrive and then I've completed it. Like there's no hack. Do you know what I mean? It's a continual every day, every moment type investment because the investment itself is worth it. Not because there's ever going to be a point where you go, whoo, yeah, I'm done now. Like I don't need to do this anymore. It's always going to be there. Yeah. But that's for me, that's just exactly the same as athlete development. Like I just take that exact like there's simplifiers and complicators and I'm a simplifier, like simpleton, I suppose, but I will take something from the most basic level and say, if you work with a rugby player, you start with them at 16 and they have a career all the way through until they're 35, things ebb and flow, don't they? And it's exactly the same as our wellness. It will ebb and flow. Something that we liked when we were younger or that we could do when we're younger, we can't do when we're older. And I just think if we just literally carbon copy physical training and put it into our wellness and well-being then it's a much easier way for us as coaches to conceptualize uh how to actually implement it it, it there's no i mean what are we trying to do with a with physical training 
we're we're trying to get someone to be available and optimized. Like there's no there's no difference at all. We want be available for people we want to be what we need to give when we need to do it that's availability and to the level that we need to do it and optimization is ensuring that we're able to perform at the correct level at the correct time in the correct intensity so those two things just like go together physical training wellness well-being exactly the same uh, like approach in my mind go on finn I was just going to pick up on the seeking aspect and, and it kind of links in with uh, something that Phil sent me last night in terms of the paradox of well-being and how we were talking. And it's got a section in terms of like reification and, and treating something abstract as if it were a thing, something that you could physically grasp a hold of. And for me, well-being, wellness isn't something abstract. It's not something that we can actually grab a hold of so it spoke about the trap of reification and actually how that can be pretty dangerous because the the paradox within that is is the gap that that is created in terms of we're striving for to be able to to grab hold of something we're seeking to be able to change something physical when actually for me in my experience you can't actually grab hold of wellness and well-being we can talk we can think and we can work towards it but actually how can we grab a hold of it? How can we get coaches and athletes to work towards it? So I think if we are seeking something realistic, that's probably going to work for us. But if we're seeking something abstract in a way that isn't abstract, then I think that's probably quite difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, again, I'll I just, I just break it down. Uh, it's just wellness is... It's not, you're, you're right, you're both, you guys are right. It's not something that you can uh, obtain and one day it's like, oh yeah, I've got wellness. Ching. It, I mean, it doesn't work like that. But what it does is it's a series of uh, thoughts, feelings and emotions which have then an impact on your behaviour. So it's an understanding of self. It's, an, it's, it's, um, it's living, it moves, it changes, it alters. But like, there are times when you you will be able to look back and say, I dealt with that well because that situation, which was very difficult because I was in a good place. And that's physically, that's mentally, that's emotionally. And those three things, like getting some sort of balance, it's like um, the easiest way to describe, that I've ever used to describe it is like an equaliser. So I'm old uh, or getting old. So, you know, maybe the old ghetto blasters, like the big boxes that have the equaliser on. So you're nodding away. So you know what I mean. They, they got the equalizer on. It, it, what, sometimes one thing's up, up high and the other thing's down low and then it will just move around. Well, essentially, we're just looking for some sort of balance. And that's the same with like a rugby player. Like a, think about a number seven in rugby, an open side flanker. You need them to have a skill set here and you all need them to be high level in order for them to do their job optimally. They're going to have areas that they're better at, like jackling or they're quick or they're, you know, they're rucking, whatever it might be. But Ultimately, you need them to have a high level or at least an awareness of what it is they need to do at a set time in order to be optimum. So um, I for, for me, wellness is, uh, or well-being, whatever you want to call it, is, um, is uh, yeah, it's aspirational to a certain extent, but there are some pretty well-defined things that people need to do in order to do that, in order to achieve uh, equilibrium and balance, really, I suppose is the, the words. 
I think the key word for me there is awareness. And, and if anyone wants, I guess, to kind of maybe go a little bit deeper into this topic, I'd jump back into the episode and I can't remember which one it was, but Sam Jarman, Andy Morrison and Simon Mundy, because these guys kind of are, are really, really detailed in how they kind of talk about awareness and, and awareness of self and actually what is self. And I I think you're right. It's 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 taking that step back and just being aware and appreciative of my mood today is whatever it is and my thoughts and feelings are wherever they are and that will have an impact on the conversation do you know what I mean you you could have a straight up normal conversation one day and the next day that turns into an argument and the only thing that's changed is actually the the mood in which you enter that the intent was still the same but suddenly it just gets out of control and we've all probably been there but an awareness of and I this is something I tried really hard to manage and it's take not that I'm anywhere near like doing it as well as I would like hence there's no end point I'm never going to arrive and go now I've done it but actually just not letting the frustrations of people that can't show up to the session like impact my mood in the session because you know it's like your phone goes you know 15 20 minutes before the session and suddenly there's the can't make it can't make it can't make it can't make it great, okay, well, whatever plan I did have, I'm now going to have to adjust. And the key conversation I needed to have with a scrum half, they're not here, whatever, bang, 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 bang. Like, why would I now let my frustration at that impact on the people that did come? <laughs> it's just not fair. So I think that that step back to go, what was the impact? Like, how can I manage that that mood, that frustration? How can I maybe start to, like, compartmentalise it? How can I just shift that and go, you know, a lot of people would talk about um, kind of white line mentality. As soon as you cross the white line, you are, you know, doing X, Y, Z for the people on the field. Nothing else outside of that really matters. And I guess there's a lot of strategies and techniques you can use. But I think ultimately what that boils down to is the bedrock is actually that awareness of you, yourself and, and all the parts that make up that and how they all interact and, and kind of come together, I guess. Yeah, it's an environmental thing, isn't it? And um, that's that's a variable that, like physical training and all sorts of, it doesn't matter, sports coaching, whatever it might be, it's just a bunch of variables all chucked together and how you manage those. But um, one thing that the Special Forces guys used to use, um, and this becomes relevant because those guys do things which one second... Uh, one second to the next second has a huge impact on outcome. And that can be injury, loss of life, loss of uh, whatever it might be. So it's pretty severe. So there's a mentality that they, they have, which is called park it. So if something hugely emotional or hugely, um, imagine something catastrophic happens, but you're, you, you know, you're just at the entry of your, your starting your mission. You can't not complete your mission because there's something catastrophic has happened. You've got to carry on. It's not optional. But what they do is they park it. And they, they work very hard at parking it. And then they, they know that they're going to come back to it later and they will, they will do that. And then the person who's the team leader will make sure everybody's on point and everyone's okay throughout the mission. And then they will address it at the back end and it just all comes out. So, uh, and the other one that was <clears throat> quite memorable was uh, against a guy called James Moorhen. Um, he stole it from somewhere else, I think, and they called it a taxi rank. So you put it in the taxi rank. Um, you're going to get to it at some point, but you, you just wait, just park it. And for me, being able to park it, even the huge emotional things, like I've had a, 
somebody said something totally inappropriate in a session and all you want to do is you want to tell them that you need to, you need to address it then and there. Now I'm going to park it. And then I, personally, I've been able to do that and it's been a really effective me uh, method. Um, but no, you're right, Phil. It's definitely an interesting one. I wonder if the skill there with, with the park it and the taxi rank is you have to come back to it. I wonder how many people would do that and then they just move on to the next thing. So it, it, it just leaves a lot of stuff unresolved. And I, to my mind, just, just hearing that and thinking about similar types of experiences, actually, it would be very much you have to make time to deal with those thoughts, feelings, emotions, conflict, whatever it might be. Otherwise, it, it's got that tendency just to linger and, and maybe then be niggled that, that still bugs you, you know what I mean, like years later down the line. I guess that's why some therapists make a lot of money because people just haven't dealt with with any of this type of stuff so um that that would definitely seem to be a key a key kind of element but i, I just want to bring that back to i guess maybe the role of discipline because i i'll be honest like this is something i struggle with it's it's just that ability to compartmentalize in some ways but i also think like the world is pretty busy everything is accessible do you know what i mean our phones are on all the time emails can can hit you up in any number of places on your laptop on your phone what your watch like everything's just information and i i wonder whether part of the skill of not giving everything to everybody all the time is how much we can actually be disciplined to say right i'm not i'm not dealing with coaching stuff or rugby stuff or whatever stuff for this period of time and, it, and whether that's like muting the, the, the 47 WhatsApp group you're in about, you know, coaching or whatever it might be, or whether that's just going, I've seen the message, I'll deal with it when I'm back focusing on this stuff. And, and just really trying to be disciplined with keeping space for yourself or your family or non-work stuff or whatever it might be. But I'd, I'd just be interested in, in what your guys' thoughts are on how how you approach the kind of the discipline element of it and any top tips for people listening if they struggle to be disciplined like me? So I think for me, um, just picking up on my personal experience, I think, so Josh, you mentioned at the beginning, like people who've been coaching for 10 or so years have, have most definitely experienced burnout. Um, I think I've been coaching for about three and a half years, properly, almost like maybe even over full time at, at times. Um and I have most definitely experienced burnout. And that's because I've never had the ability to switch off, which comes back to the discipline side of things. Um, it's something that for me, I think it picks up on what we said earlier. As a, as a giver, as a coach, we feel like we've almost got to be accessible all the time to give the right answers, to, to give them the support that they need at the right times. And I think if you're within a team environment or you're working with other coaches, I think it's to, you have to almost define the, the relationship, the, your working relationship, I guess, and define, I quite like when I'm working in teams to, to work with what's acceptable, what's exceptional, and without even touching what's unacceptable, because by defining what's acceptable and exceptional, you're kind of almost defining what's unacceptable within that. And for me, what's acceptable is that you, when you're at work, you're working all the time and, and you're working 100%, but, but you're not. You're not working when you're at home. And I can't remember who it was, but on the podcast that I'm, I run, someone spoke to me about actually you need to be working when you're working, working at that 100%, but you shouldn't be working 100% of the time. So say if you work a nine to five job, you need to be working 100% from nine to five 
But when you when you come home, as soon as that that clock ticks five o'clock, like we should not be working. And and I compl- I get it. It's really hard if somebody phones you, somebody texts you, like Phil, we were having a conversation at what like ten forty five last night. That's not switching off, and that's a really bad example. I'm here trying to preach that we need to switch off, and I'm speaking with Phil at ten forty five. But I think when we're doing that all of the time and we're waking up religiously at six o'clock in the morning, we're straight on our phone having those conversations. Like what what actual impact is that going to have on your day? If you can have that conversation at nine o'clock instead of six o'clock, you've probably actually been able to figure it out yourself. One thing I've found is seeing as everybody's so accessible these days, like if I've got something about the wellness, I'll probably pick it up straight away, pick the phone up and call Josh. But like, Actually, if I sit down and I don't call Josh and I have a look on the internet or I listen back to this recording, I've probably found the answer myself. So I think with everybody being so accessible, we've almost become impatient in a way in terms of finding the answer. So why can't we just sit back and not make that phone call, not make that message, think about it? and actually we're probably going to find the answers ourselves. And I think that comes back to self-discipline, not necessarily just discipline as a whole, but self-discipline to know that when you're working, you work at that hundred percent of the time, but when you're out of work, you don't think about it. So we're not working a hundred percent of the time, but we're giving a hundred percent when we're there. And, and actually like try and find the answers out for yourself a little bit, try and think about things yourself, have actual conversations face to face, And if that means just waiting three hours till you get into the office, then go for that. Because by then you've probably formed some sort of opinion or interpretation. And then that's going to make, turn the conversation from 60 minutes into five minutes and you've, and you've hit the end result. Um, That's the thing that I've kind of been trying to do myself and and not phone people all the time and just figure things out for myself a little bit and just be disciplined in that. um, Because I think that helps with the balance of, of, being a coach, potentially being an athlete and, and your lifestyle at the same time. I'll come to you in a sec, Josh. I've just got quite a funny little story around that. So this was coaching uh, a uni team quite a few years ago now. And um, it just got to that stage where the, the the chat just constantly, just questions, question, 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 to the extent we had a team meeting upstairs in the clubhouse and one of the lads had messaged me to say he was running late. Absolutely fine. He got to the clubhouse and um, and rather than just walk up the stairs or walk to the changing rooms and find out where we were, and we were upstairs, so like it, it wasn't too difficult to work out. He messaged me, like interrupted the team meeting to go, are we upstairs? And I, I, I just, I like not lost it badly, but when he came in, I was just like, right, guys, I've had enough. Like I cannot be dealing with you acting like children. Like you'd rather send that message than walk up 20 steps and stick your head through the door and go, oh yeah, they're there. And I was just like, like, I'm not your mum, I'm not your nanny. Like this shit just needs to end right now. Like you're grown adults. Yes, you're discovering yourselves in life and it's a pretty formative time, but take some responsibility and just like sort your own shit. So pack your own parachute was a was a big one that came off the back of that. Um, just like if you need information, find it early before you need it. Like do the stuff you need to do to make sure you're not causing loads of other people unnecessary work because it's just, yeah, it, it's just poor preparation, poor planning, poor application. And that, that was pro- that was quite a big sea change for that group. Actually. And I still, I still get a lot of 
grief in the WhatsApp chat for like stuff will pop up and they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, pack your own parachute, pack your own parachute. So it clearly stuck with, and that's like 10 years ago, which is, which is great. So yeah, Josh, I cut across you, go on, jump in. It's, a, it's an interesting one. Like there's tons of different things to un, unpick from what, from what both of you guys just said. But one of the biggest things is like with other people and it, it, it is you encourage what you tolerate. So if you're in a WhatsApp group, and I have WhatsApp groups, um, most of them are on mute, um, and the ones that aren't on mute, I'll choose when I reply. People soon get the message. I've actually, I've been the guy who will respond to everything at stupid o'clock. And I've also been the guy who gets called out for sending something at stupid o'clock. So now uh, I have a large awareness of boundaries and barriers. But I'm useless with my own, or I'm not so good with my own, but I'm good with other people's. Is it appropriate for me to send a message at X time at night? No, it's not. Can this wait till tomorrow? Yes, it can. And am I going to write it, leave it there for that person? And then I'm going to set, I have to set an alarm, otherwise I forget. And then I'm going to send it at nine o'clock the next morning. I've got a time difference here. And whenever I've had, I've had bigger time differences than I have now, I have to, have to become quite aware of what time it is for people and what they actually do and don't want to, what's acceptable and what's not. So um, the other thing is when you've got a lot of shit going on in your life, like this discipline thing is, it's a really interesting one. Like I don't agree with you, you're at work hundred percent of the time. Uh, I don't agree with that because I don't think there's enough productivity that can take place. You can't just be 100% focused on work. Like, it, it doesn't work like that. Your brain can't operate like that. You can only really concentrate for a set period of time. So I believe in pulses, like pulse, a, a push of work. And uh, I can, if you're doing something creative, then you need to know when you're most creative and then you need to apply that then. If you're uh, setting up for a coaching session and you know it takes you half an hour then it's phones off everything's away and people will soon get the message that you're not going to respond to something 30 minutes before a session you just won't and I, I did exactly the same with the players that I used to work with they would know that if I had a session started at 10 o'clock I wouldn't touch my phone before half nine so if you send me an I'm late message that's on you it's nothing to do with me because you know that that's my parameters so that I can focus on the group I'm with and group two come in so you didn't respond to my message that's because we have a no phones rule and I have to respect that rule. So no, I'm not going to pick up the phone. Uh, but it's putting clear barriers in place so that it's really obvious to everybody around. But with regards to discipline, this is a really fascinating one for me because it's changed quite a lot. Um, I, I've moved house. What? I fucking hate moving. Moved house four times in the last three months. And I, and between all of these different things, my biggest, my biggest news resolution is self-compassion. And it's, I'm really, really sticking to it because I've wrapped my head around, do you know what? Like the environment's pretty tricky right now, Josh. It's all right that you, you, I double booked myself the other day. I was a bit pissed, but I, like, look, I'm really sorry. I double booked myself and that was okay. I, I, I canceled something. It was okay. I missed an appointment. It, what nobody dies like what's what's the worst thing that can happen like honestly it, it didn't matter and the fact that i was not beating myself up about it like there's a higher than this you better than this oh you should be working you should, what i would have said last year but this year no nah, i'm not saying that because i've got 
this much space in the cup and the cups up to here there's this much left so i'm not going to cram the rest and overflow the cup by beating myself up about something i'm just going to take a little bit out of the cup by saying you know what it's okay it, it, it doesn't actually matter it's not a big deal uh but di discipline like your motivation will come and go like discipline is fundamentally important but that relates to your why why do you want to do it um and that you can then take that on a level and say well really either a you don't actually want to do it so don't do it or b you you have no choice and you've committed so do it um and that it, it kind of is as simple as that sometimes it's like you make a commitment to yourself to someone else but with that here's the here's the flip side of that have the self-compassion like blend it all together have the self-compassion to say if you want to run four times a week or train four times a week and you miss a day. Does it really matter? That doesn't mean you have to fall off the wagon and, and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Why if you what happens if you instead of zooming in from the microscopic, what if you zoom out and say, hang on, I miss one workout. What happens if I then look at this over a course of a month? I can make up that extra workout in a month. So I'm going to zoom out. And I'm not going to fall off the wagon totally. I'm just going to try and get half of that workout extra next week. And then the week after, I'm going to get the other half. So I look at this as a month. And now, all of a sudden, instead of doing 16 workouts, you've managed to do 17. Or you've managed to do 18. Because you've made up that time from before. And most importantly, you stayed on the wagon. So you have to have some sort of relapse prevention. It's the same as like if you're an alcoholic. I spoke about this in the on a webinar the other day, if you're an alcoholic or if you, you're addicted to something, they'll have relapse prevention. What are you going to do in a situation where you're desperate for a cigarette? That's the only thing you can think of. What are you going to do to stop yourself having one? What are you going to do if you do have one to stop yourself going back down and, and buying another pack and smoking 20? What are you going to do? So have your list in place so that you're preventing these things from uh, really, really being detrimental uh, yeah i think you've nailed that as you say it's it's comes back to that self-awareness to be aware of the risks to be aware of i guess the dangers to yourself within those situations and then i really like your to how list like actually how are you going to put in place those those blockers those red lights those stoppers whatever they are to to kind of manage that and and then almost the proactive nature of how do I then go and do this instead of, or how do I manage this? So yeah, no, 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 really strong, really strong. Um, I guess we'll kind of maybe just wrap that one up there a little bit and Finn, we'll jump across to you because um, I know you want to kind of take it in a, a little bit of a um, similar direction, but just, yeah, I guess talk about some other other bits as well. So we'll uh, we'll jump over to you and uh, fire away. Cool. So firstly, I was kind of just going to link it before you, you threw that one at me. I, I've read something else recently about how great coaches ask, listen and empathise. Um, and as I think what we need to kind of do before I start delving into the athlete side of things, I think some coaches potentially to avoid burnout or challenges that we might experience potentially need to understand what our roles and expectations are. So there's a little bit just in it and, and we'll obviously put it in the, in the blurb afterwards and people can have a little bit of a read. But the bit that stood out for me is leaders today still have to understand their business thoroughly, but it's unrealistic and ill-advised to expect them to have all the answers. Coaching is about connecting with people, inspiring them to do their best and helping them to grow. It's also about challenging people to come up with the answers they require on their own. 
So it kind of fits in with what we said earlier in terms of we don't want to be accessible all the time to athletes or whoever it is that we're working because they can actually figure out those answers. So what is our role as a coach to be able to support those athletes? And I think our role is, is just challenging them to, to figure things out by themselves, not because, because like we're only human at the end of the day, aren't we? Like, I don't know answers at all. And like Josh will know some more than me and Phil will know different ones to me, but like, if, if a rugby player comes to me and asks me a question and I don't know that, well, we can figure out together how to find that answer. I can start challenging them in a specific training session to try and find that answer themselves by by kind of reliving it. And I just wanted to pick up on that because it it was quite a, I don't know, it's quite a standout thing for me. And I've sent it to a lot of coaches that I work with in terms of just have a little read and, and see a few things that resonate with you because it really it really kind of confirmed a bit of an approach that I've got in terms of just challenging athletes to find answers by themselves. Because ultimately when you put them on a pitch for that 80 minutes in rugby, like we can't give them the answers. They need to figure it out themselves. And, and we're, we're not there to hold their hands whenever a decision gets tough. And I went to watch a, um, a final at, uh, I'm not going to say which stadium it was because they'll know exactly like which player it was and which coach, but I'm not going to do it. But we, I went to watch a, a, a pretty renowned stadium and I remember like last five minutes, the game was really, really close and and the, the player turned around and, and shouted at the coach about 50 metres across the pitch asking what they need to do because they just had been coached so structurally that they weren't actually sure what decision to make for themselves. So when they're in this position, they've got big decision to make they, they didn't know what to make so for me as a coach and I think it probably secures our own kind of coach wellness in in turn is if we can coach these athletes to be independent and make the decisions themselves then actually that's going to take a lot of pressure off us at the same time as coaches because if I'm coaching these players to want answers by asking and requesting them then I'm always going to be there offering the answers. So we need to kind of, it picks up on what Josh said about the barriers and the boundaries, just trying to build those up to then in turn, actually the athletes are working it out for themselves. I think that's awesome. Uh, it's really interesting one. You basically that phrase encapsulates my training philosophy with athletes. And this is something that I, I, I only really got hold of with the special forces guys so that I could articulate what it was we needed to do from a human performance perspective. And that is to create independent, intelligent decision makers who understand the system and the process and who can operate without you needing to be present. It's the person who makes the right decision at the right time. So with the tools that they've got, so regardless of whether that is a, put more load on the bar or what to actually do on the pitch, then the system and the process is to understand their role within the whole structure, understand the type of training they're doing and why, and the impact that that will have. Then the intent relates to I'm recovering, is a recovery day, I only need to do this at a five out of 10 because this is what recovery should look like. Or this is a max effort, a max anaerobic effort, that means that I need to give every single ounce that I have. And each section, each, each big word within that sentence has a specific meaning, which is basically exactly what you said. So that's the goal for the athlete. So when they keep saying, 
you know, what is it we're trying to do here? Or they ask these questions. There's your tagline. Independent, intelligent decision makers who understand the system, the process, and the intent of everything. That encapsulates like absolutely everything for me. And it, it really translates for the athletes as well. So I just wanted to share that. Nice. And yeah, I think for me, exactly. It kind of confirmed everything that I was thinking. I've never really seen it written down before if you if you get what I mean it's never been something that I've read it's always been something that I've thought and and just linking to what Phil was saying earlier in terms of just me talking about something a little bit different it, on on my podcast when I talk with people it's I'm, I'm building little bits of I don't know like gems maybe to to kind of sculpt the whole way that I see things and and work with athletes and support athletes and it just, yeah, to be honest with you, my, my, I don't know, maybe my identity as a coach changes week in, week out. Every conversation that I've had always changes. Um, but the one thing that always sticks is kind of challenging athletes to make decisions by themselves because we're, we're not like what I might, I think I've probably worked in a couple of different clubs and, and one club I was only at for about six or seven months. So if I'm just coaching that athlete to play a game of rugby, what, what have I given them in the long run? I've not given them anything. I want to go in and I want to support them in terms of being a really good rugby player, but, but making good decisions. So the independent, intelligent decision-making, that's, that's exactly what it is. We need to be able to develop them a little bit more. And I think that's what coaches need to understand, but they need to understand the process of how we get there. So it comes back to like whether it is actually something that's abstract that we can we can grab a hold of this independent intelligent decision making but it's something that we can at least challenge individuals to to work towards i think and and it kind of sounds like that's exactly what you do josh yeah um there's a there's there's always been this direct uh transfer of responsibility um and that responsibility and, and the onus will will shift from me to them or from the lead coach to the assistant coaches and then the the players uh and that for me looks like a direct transition and everything's education based with it starts with good feedback and it starts with setting expectations and understanding the parameters and them being clear on I, I used to score the guys and I used to say what would you give that session in terms of um I think it was three different areas. I would go, I, communication was one of them and another one was um, uh, effort. And then, um, so I can't remember what the other one was, but, uh, or difficulty. And in the early days, this is with the, the guys, special forces guys in Romania, they would say that a session was a nine or a 10. And I said, boys, this is a seven. This is a seven and a half. Like you need to wrap your head around what's coming because that's seven and a half. And they were like, oh, holy shit. Because that's where they were at that point. That was their 10. But as soon as they were able to learn that there is more to come, that's when they were able to go, right, okay, let's actually now start to apply where we are right now, get some self-awareness as to like our point on the journey, and then let's think about where we're going to get to. And then the effort, they would think they were putting in a maximum effort. Okay, so they would score themselves a nine. So the first, first two, three times I did this, they were like nine, 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 nine. I was like the total score of like 18. I was like, boys, you've got 13. Like, how'd, you get, how'd you get that? How do, you, how do you score yourself that when you like your effort? Here's why you get like teamwork as well. I think it was one of them. Here's why you get 
this score. And I'd tell them exactly why. And they'd be like, ah, right, okay. And it worked the other way around. Sometimes they score themselves really low on one particular area. And I'm like, no, you, you crushed it because of this, dot, 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 dot. And that way they could really start to understand and then t- take a bit of control of it. And the other thing was the um, the three up, three down thing. that um, I have that as part of the journal that I've got. And it's, it's a really easy way for these athletes to and, and coaches to compartmentalize whether you're a proactive, a positive reflector or slightly more negative. So they would reflect and say three up, three down, three things that went well, three things they want to work on and then just can it, leave it there. Um, and that, that was quite effective for, for well, I, I now use that with all of the athletes, to be fair. So those kind of reflective tools were really empowering for people. Um, and then like that direct transfer over of responsibility to the point where they were actually right, they'd write the sessions. Okay, here's your, here's a goal. Here's the, the main things you need to achieve. You write the session. Leadership group, you turn up 10 minutes early and this is what you're going to do. Uh, you're going to write the session on the board. So, yeah. Nice. And I think to kind of come back to Phil asking me to talk about what I was thinking and it, I mean, it, it kind of fits in with the wellness paradox of what we were discussing earlier in terms of kind of how we can secure wellness and things like that. So I had a conversation with a guy called Robert Robertson who builds in a trust and basically empowers greater inner freedom basically within it could be athletes it could be anybody that he's working with um and and the thing is kind of i'll I'll talk about it and then i'll ask your guys opinion on it because it it completely shifted something in terms of my mindset so i always thought that if we were positive thinkers we were winning at life basically and what he kind of said is that positive thinking actually can suppress our emotions because say for example if we're if we're constantly thinking positively even within a negative experience or circumstance then actually we're not we're not being true to ourselves we're not empowering our kind of inner feelings or our emotions so actually do we need to be positively thinking all of the time to be positive or do we need to accept and almost hone in on our true emotions sometimes and be honest with ourselves and therefore kind of develop our, our inner trust. Yeah. Good, good, good thoughts, good musings, good to be able to question it, but be careful not to go down the rabbit hole with this. Um, One thing that I will emphasize is a real basic model is the impact of thoughts on feelings, the impact on feelings on emotions and emotions on behavior. That is a, and, and they add in physiology in there as well. So that is a complete cycle and a complete loop, but you can also step outside of that loop and say, mood, here is my mood on this particular day in this particular mood, uh, point in time. So it doesn't have to be as kind of, uh, you know, clear as, um, it doesn't have to be as kind of, definitive as that um yeah it's an interesting one what do you think phil um you're right it's a good question i think it depends if we believe that our thoughts are true so inherently i can have a thought it it doesn't mean 
that is truth. It doesn't mean that that is what's going to happen. Like I honestly believe probably 90, 95% of the issues that we have as people come from believing our own thoughts when that isn't necessarily um, your experience or your reality. Do you know what I mean? You can get yourself really het up overthinking something that, oh, oh I'm going to get sacked. Like I've not done this or I've not done that. Or, you know, someone's, oh, my partner's going to leave me or uh, I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? A- any of these kind of negative things. Um, and, and that can spark from anywhere, but actually do we know that 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 is truth and and i'm not convinced we do so again it comes back to this awareness piece of i can have that thought that oh i'm probably going to get sacked next week and go okay well how how would i manage that if if that does happen okay well i'd do x y and z and this this would be the impact okay well i've kind of got a bit of a plan for that right well actually what what happens if it isn't true like i don't have to invest in believing negative thoughts in the same way I don't actually have to believe invest in believing positive thoughts all the time like I can I can stay reasonably neutral and content and and kind of yeah balance within that but there's also an element of um it's not wallowing but I think it's being really accepting of of some of the painful stuff like Hugh Gilmore's actually got a um uh, a webinar on this a free one on Wednesday evening and it does podium psychology and, and he put up a really interesting thread on Twitter and Instagram around just just actually connecting with your negative emotions um, like and I'll have talked about this with a lot of people and have mentioned it on here before like life-changing experience I lost a really really good friend when we were at uni and then we lost his brother a, a few years afterwards and the 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 emotion that still sits with that like I'll, I'll have a song come on when I'm in the car and it just brings back thoughts and feelings and, and I'll just cry. And I'm kind of like, I'm not ashamed of that. Like that's just what it is because there's still so much emotion connected to that. And I feel like that's a really healthy place to be that I'll just, it just manifests itself. And after it's kind of passed, I'm back to just being, whatever I was you know just driving and and my thought goes wherever and it's it's kind of not going oh my god this is bad or I need to do something about this it's kind of just just accepting it within the moment and saying yeah like I still really miss my friends like I could get emotional now just talking about them but that's absolutely fine and some days I'll be incredibly sad that they're not there and and that you know and, and everyone will have lost certain people and it's not just about loss like missed opportunities or whatever but I don't think it's wallowing in that I just think it's going what can I learn from that how can I be content with that that is a feeling that still resides within me and ultimately I don't if it's a negative or damaging one I, I don't have to believe that that thought is um is true so I, I totally agree. Um, and I fundamentally, actually, I, I'm now thinking about it. I fundamentally disagree with this um, this positive paradox. It, well, it's not a paradox, is it? Because it's just it's, it's a load of shit, isn't it? Like life, it's just not life. It's just not realistic. Like, I was having a conversation with, with someone I'm, I'm close to about an a, a side and B side of life. And people put out the A side. Well, no, there's a B side. There's a B side, and it's not always nice. It's not always sunshine and puppy dogs. Like, let's use Christmas as an example. Some some people had a great Christmas, and some people had a really shit Christmas. Some people were with the people they wanted to be with. Some people weren't. Some people couldn't get there. Some people don't have anyone. Some people were with people they didn't want to be with, and and that's the B side of life. 
And Phil, you've, you've had some, you just explained some of the B side of life. If we always talk about the A side, if we always talk about and show out and put out to the world, the A side, we're, we're soaking up the B side and that's having a massive impact until it gets to the point where there's nothing left in the sponge and it just starts coming out somehow. But when it comes out, it will come out in a way that you don't really understand in your behavior. Whereas if you can actually engage with it in a healthy way, which is exactly what you just said, Phil, it's almost like optimum, then you're acknowledging that these things are there rather than suppressing and you're promoting your ability to be able to deal with it and handle it. It's all right to get upset. It's all right to have a cry. It's all right to want to actually be honest with your friends and say, how are you? Instead of, yeah, I'm all right, mate. How are you doing? Oh, I'm shit, actually. Yeah, and, and here's why. Um, oh, do you want to talk about it? Actually, yeah, I do. Or no, but thanks for asking and maybe we can talk about it later. That's, that's, that's healthy. It's, it's definitely not healthy. I've been Mr. Positive before and guess what? At some point it will creep up on you, it'll bite you in the ass and you won't know why. But what you can do is you can try to use the difficulty. You can try to create a positive. You can acknowledge those feelings, those thoughts and those emotions and you can uh, almost take control of them and say, do you know what? I'm just going to go with this. Like when you, maybe when you think about your friend food, you might just say, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to think about this until I don't. And then once I'm done with it, it I'll, I'll drift off into whatever else I'm doing and I'll probably be thankful for those thoughts. And then I'm going to do the same next time and I'm not going to judge myself for it. So it comes down to that self-compassion again. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's my thoughts. Finn. I think just to pick up on the, what you said right there, I'm not going to judge myself for it. I think a lot of people will judge themselves in terms of thinking about negative experiences or thinking about negative thoughts. Like I used to all the time, I used to judge myself if I was thinking negatively or I had a negative attitude, I'd be then judging myself negatively. But having this conversation and what you guys have just said there, it kind of restores actually, we shouldn't be judging ourselves based on negative stuff. We should almost be accepting it in a way. We should almost, well, I'm going to throw it out there, but I think at times we should probably be seeking it because if we're thinking positively all the time, are we being realistic? Are we being realistic with ourselves, especially at the moment, especially with everything that's going on? Like, like you said as well, Josh, in terms of Christmas, some people had a really great Christmas. Some people didn't like my dad lives in China and it's been about three and a half, nearly four years, probably since I've seen him because of all the pandemic and everything like that. And if I, if I look at that positively, actually, is it really a positive circumstance? It probably isn't. So I, I need to start looking at it sometimes and accepting that potentially it is negative, but because I'm looking at it negatively, it makes me feel a little bit better about it because I'm not trying to sugarcoat it in a way. I think if we sugarcoat things, then things aren't realistic. Fraud, fraud feelings, I called it. Um, yeah, exactly. Fraud feelings. And fraud will lead to some sort of impact further down the line. So fraud, fraud feelings are what we see on Instagram and what we see on Twitter. I don't know if you guys follow me on Instagram or anything, but I've got two accounts. I've got my personal one and my business one. Um, and I had to switch over to a business one not so long ago because... I decided that I've got a kid and everyone always puts out things about how awesome it is to have a kid. Actually, it's not. There's some pretty shit things. So I started up a little th uh, some stories about called Honest Dad. And it's just funny, stupid things that are actually true. Stuff like, you know, I love my kid. I just don't always like him. And, and you know, people, do, people are worried about hearing that. They're like they, they laugh. They have the same reaction as you. 
because you're nodding your head going, yeah, it's fucking true. <laughs> it's true. They are little assholes sometimes and you don't always love them they're, when they're playing up, but you don't always like them, but you always love them. So I just wanted to put across the other side of it, the B side. And I get all these messages when people like see my story. They're like, oh, I can't believe you said that or you're savage or yes, this is so true. I get tons of messages whenever I put something out, but it's because I'm saying the things that other people won't. I'm putting the B side out there. But I'm doing it in a way that, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's funny. It's funny to me. I don't really care if it's funny to anyone else or not. But the whole point is, there's a B-side. There's a B-side to having a kid. They are a little shit sometimes. They, they are a pain in the ass. But show the B-side. So this, this, show the B-side to the world. I'm actually trying to get to a stage now where, in the content I'm putting out, it's it's both. I'm trying to say, look, if I've done an A side, like, oh, oh, look at this, or it's all sunshine and puppy dogs. Well, here's the other side of that, actually. And this is what I'm trying to do in that Facebook community. It's just like, you know what? It's not always all right, guys, but it's all right to not be all right. And here's, here's some thoughts, here's some feelings. And maybe we can start talking about as a group potential solutions to some of these. But the A, the a side and the B side and the, the, the danger of fraud feelings is, is huge. I think that's why that stuff connects though, isn't it? And we've probably seen a growth of that on social media and, you know, the kind of, um, there's a there's one on Twitch I'm thinking about that kind of like exposes people just right in with just weird and random stuff they've done and and everyone kind of goes, oh yeah, like, yeah, I've probably done that at some point. And, and exactly the same, they've all had the same thoughts and feelings. And I think even within our, I guess, coaching teams or coaching network, actually we can use that in a really positive way. Do you know what I mean? It's it's having that little WhatsApp group where you just go, does anyone else like think this at times? And everyone goes, oh yeah, yeah, like I think that all the time. And you go, oh, so it's it's not just me. Like there's there's definitely an element of we can get caught, yeah, can get caught thinking we're the only person that's ever experienced this or ever thought this, like, and and that feels really lonely. And then when you share that, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah like every day like that's completely normal for me like i just manage it this way or whatever and that can be positive or negative it can be anything in between like it's not it's not either or but it's it's just being able to share with people and i wonder if that was one of the big things that resonated with people in in the kind of the lockdowns that that like it went zoom crazy didn't it but everybody suddenly had time to have all these conversations and explore some of this stuff. And it wasn't just tech tech. It was really quite deep personal conversations around like, this is something I find really challenging. D- does anyone else share this experience or have they had this experience or, or do they think about it? And I, I just think that's the power of that. And I, as much as, you know, it's been wonderful getting back to being normal inverted commas, I would hate to lose that opportunity where people stop now connecting as much as they did. And maybe we go back to connecting face to face. Like, I don't know, but it's, it's also sometimes easier to, to kind of connect in a, in a, in a chat box on a zoom, um, you know, with 200 other people because you're anonymous or whatever, Do you know, like there's, there's good things about doing stuff online in terms of an- anonymity. If you don't want to share that with people you're close to, or you work with every day or whatever, that you can still, engage in that and have those really positive conversations so um yeah i I think it's a it's definitely come on a long way in probably a really short space of time but i it's it's what that looks like moving forward that i think is is pretty important yeah definitely no i think i was just thinking about the the online 
side of things and, and how like the lockdown and everything have really kind of increased people's ability to to think about things i think before lockdown it was very much right we just crack on with work and we go around it's like groundhog day all day every day and actually being forced to spend time with yourself it was probably a really good thing for a lot of people and don't get me wrong like i'm one of those people in terms of like it hit hard like there were some really tough days there were some tough weeks but in the long run I'm really grateful for it because I was forced to spend time with myself. Like before that I was working at eight o'clock in the morning and finishing at 1130 at night. I had no time to think for myself. I had no time to talk to people really about anything that wasn't the task at hand at that time. So I was actually quite grateful for it. And, and it's quite difficult going back to work full time now in terms of, right, I'm going back to it, having known the positive effects and negative effect that it had on me for what, a year and a half, nearly two years now. Um, but I think that kind of taught me that sometimes thinking about things not in a positive light is something that's so beneficial. Um, but it also meant that we were having these conversations and it was raising awareness or it was actually just helping people. And like you said, Phil, I think there's 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 different people that, that benefit from it in different ways. Like sometimes actually having a conversation, say like, I don't know, there's a lot of keyboard warriors and people out there that that are actually really good when they're on Twitter or on Facebook in communities or whatever. And and actually people benefit from from typing their feelings and, and whatever. But some people benefit from talking about it over a Zoom call. Some people benefit from from journaling or, or self-talk or actually having a conversation with a professional. But but you've got to experiment in a way. I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. Like I've probably tried all of them and I now know which ones work best for me, but without trying it and without being open to how you're feeling negative, positive, anywhere in between, like you're not actually just, you're not going to find out what works best for you. I don't think. Yeah, you're right. I think it comes with, um, it comes with a bit of guided self, guided self discovery, um, which doesn't, often take place until you're forced to. Um, and I think a lockdown and a, a couple of lockdowns will force you to, and often like a traumatic event will force you to. But then this is the time where you realize you don't have the skills to deal with some of these things. Um, and, and fundamentally that what, what we, what literally your gambit then was is exactly what I'm trying to do for my business. It's create some sense of community and, and the fact that, a lot of these difficult things that I will speak about have happened to me. But when I start to then speak to, you know, different practitioners along the way, they've also happened to them. And that got me thinking, hang on a minute, if I'm not alone, I don't want people to have my journey or, or parts of my, my, my journey has been great, but there's also been, it's like walking on gravel with no, no shoes on, no socks. It's like, that, that's what my pathway has been like with the occasional bit of glass and, uh, a few other bits in there but it doesn't have to be like that for everybody like my the, the, the whole purpose of my organize my company and my facebook community or the facebook community is to be that pair of shoes so that when you when it does get a bit uncomfortable you've got some support there and it doesn't have to hit as hard it doesn't have to be as horrible you don't have to have that impact on your well-being from the negative things that can happen as a result of being in our industry 
And, what, and that's no different to an athlete. They need to have the skills of dealing with being dropped, dealing with injuries, dealing with uh, losing a contract, dealing with their, the ends of their careers. They need to have these skills the same way that as coaches, we need to have the skills to be able to deal with the poor salaries, the uncertainty, the lack of job security, the, the unsociable working hours, the bringing things home, the fact that we're inherently givers and, and people will sap our energy and then we've got nothing left for our loved ones. We need to put our barriers in place for all of those things. And right now, there's, there's a lot of these things don't exist in a to how fashion, in a how do I actually do that? Because that all sounds great, Josh. I don't know how to do that. Well, now these things are being created because the, the biggest problem in our industry, in my opinion, is practitioner well-being. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's hugely important and you, you literally just summarized it in a, in a nutshell Finn. i think the only other point i'd just chuck in on that is it's also i guess the flip side it's not being uh or not feeling guilty about like being grateful for the stuff that you have that's positive and and that that i think is also quite a danger like you know, Josh, you talked about a lot of people promote the A side, and I and sometimes you kind of look at those and you go, you like people are just showing off here, aren't they? And I, I think gratitude is is the big thing for me. In in and this is just a personal take, like try and share how grateful I am because yeah, like most of my life is is pretty great. Like, and I'm not I'm not saying that to show off. I'm just incredibly fortunate and lucky that that is the case. And yes, there's an element of you work hard for stuff and you're supported fantastically, uh, all those types of things. And, and I think that's why the gratitude is is the big bit, the amount of sacrifices people have made to enable that to happen and that I will have made or whatever. And, and again, it just, do you know what I mean? It almost feels awkward talking about this, but actually just, just sharing some success. Like that is one of the big reasons people engage on social media and you engage in friendships like you want to celebrate the successes that people in your network have and people in your family have and I, I don't think we want to be shying away from that but I, I think it's just maybe doing that in a way that's um, compassionate to people that that don't look at that and be like oh he's just such a dick like all he's ever doing is is saying how wonderful and easy stuff it's like don't think anything's easy for anybody like it it will it will go in peaks and troughs as we talked about but i i don't think we want to get to a point where we're kind of going yeah let's share let's share some good stuff but let's share the, the difficulties and the challenges we've overcome or we're facing at the same time and and maybe just it's it's putting out more of a balanced um balanced picture so people can can connect with that rather than as you say josh like always doing the a side because there's there's a lot of that and without even getting into the whole, you know, influence, influencer piece and, and that kind of shit. Like, it's just, yeah, like, what, what is real? I think that that would probably be my big question if, if people want to think about how we're portraying ourselves in, in different environments. Actually, what's, what's the reality? What's that perception? Um, just some thoughts. Yeah, no, no major point there, but um, happy days. Anything else you guys want to kind of jump in on? I'm just conscious of time, so we can probably just look to wrap it up if uh, if there's nothing else. You're both shaking your heads. So, um, cool. Um, in terms of shout outs, like you both do some awesome stuff, so you kind of touched on it, but just maybe give people some information on where to find you, uh, what your stuff is called, like how can they go about engaging with you? Because um, I think both are excellent. So um, fire away. 
Yeah, so you can find anything about me. Twitter would be at Coach Blueprint One. Then Instagram is Career Blueprint, uh, and then website www.yourcareer-blueprint.com. So fundamental, and a Facebook community called Performance Practitioner Wellbeing, which is over about six hundred and twenty people now, um, fundamentally based around creating a a safe space for people to go comment be supported uh discuss all things well-being related in a non-judgmental way uh there's a lot of really good information in there and, and a lot of uh, a lot more to come actually so it's really growing and some great ideas that's that's where i'd like f- base a lot of the content that i put out around that community um but essentially the, the things that are coming in 2022 so last year i launched the performance practitioners journal um have you guys got a copy of that or not Oh, there we go. There we go. Can't see that because you blow your background. No, yeah. blow background. But it, no, that isn't just a notebook. I'm not just fobbing you off there. That genuinely is the, the real thing, mate. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that that launched uh, last year, flown off the shelves. So I'm actually just to put a new order through a uh, batch of those. Uh, that's also going on Amazon. So anyone who's going to be interested to keep an eye on the socials. Um, and then the company's called Career Blueprint, where I'm putting together wellness materials and packages for both um, practitioners and kind of organizations and examples of that would be we've got a product launching with John Noonan um, performance coach and we are talking about career decision making which is an area that doesn't get anywhere near enough time and attention like actually how to make confident decisions to combat the overwhelm the anxiety the stress that comes with making these decisions and make 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 decisions with confidence then there's another course coming out uh, and a manual relating to career periodization. So that will be coming out soon. Then another one, which will be a fun one for uh, any parents out there. So how to be a parent practitioner uh, and some of the pitfalls that come with it and, and how you can actually kind of manage those things. Uh, imposter syndrome is another one coming down the line. So about six coming down the pipe in uh, 2022. So all, all with different well-being slants. So, yeah any sports coaches in here listening to this are really keen to get a bit more representation in their facebook community from you guys so please do come and check us out i'll uh, send the links over to phil awesome mate top man sounds like some exciting stuff there uh really yeah keen to see what kind of keeps keeps coming out so top effort uh finn go on round us off I, I should have gone first. Like mine is mine is not going to look anywhere near as good as that whatsoever. Um, like you don't you don't want to follow me personally, but I'd, I'd probably have a look at like the Athlete Welfare Podcast. Um, find it on the majority of podcast platforms. Um, but keep an eye on socials as well. We've got some live events and hopefully some conferences and stuff that are coming up later on this year. So with with some pretty cool people. Um, it's not me talking. Like so, anybody who got bored by me talking, like you don't need to listen to me, but. It'll be the it'll be the good people that really know what they're talking about that that'll be that'll be running those conferences and those seminars. So keep an eye out on that. I think. Hey, fantastic, love that, um, guys. Just yeah, just to kind of finish this off. Um, really, really appreciate the conversation. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, I'll round up the roundup to anybody listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to an excellent discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. <laughs>